0: back to This Is Our Design, Sound On Sight's Hannibal podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I'm Sean Colletti, contributing writer at Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as always by Kate Kolzak, TV editor at Sound On Sight. Kate, we are almost near the end.
1: We are just about there, yeah.
0: What have you learned from this season of This Is Our
1: Design? I have learned that everyone should go back and re-watch the show because it's very dense, and I have learned that I had some... I missed some stuff the first time through, and we'll... I have some very specific thoughts on preconceptions about the show for this episode, so I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, it's been fun. We'll
0: get to that shortly. Um, I'll be drinking an Ardbeg Uydal, which is an Isle, Isle, uh scotch whiskey, and it's one of my, probably my top five that I've had, so I'm very excited.
1: That's, it's very fancy. Uh, I'm sure it is probably very delightful for those Normal people who actually like that stuff, unlike myself, I will be drinking a Saint Germain cocktail, which is uh, basically champagne and Saint Germain, and uh, which is an elderflower liqueur and um, and club soda. So I'm trying something new. I've never had Saint Germain before today, and it is delightful.
0: Fantastic. This week we'll be talking about season one, episode twelve. Here we go. Uh, Relevé. Was that right? Sure. Re-le-veh. 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 <laughs> written by Chris Brancato and Brian Fuller and directed by Michael Reimer. And joining us this week, our special guests, we're very pleased to welcome Simon Howell, also from Sound On Sight. Simon, welcome to This Is Our Design.
2: Thank you. Um, and way to butcher that title, by the way.
0: Thank you. Yes, I, I tried to do that. You see, I, I did fairly well in the season two podcast because I know a little bit of Japanese, but my French is non-existent. So <laughs> it's unfortunate.
2: Yeah, well, I, I I could have guessed
1: that's that's uh yeah i can this is why i'm glad that you take care of this sean because then i don't need to butcher especially the second season titles
0: Yeah. yeah all right well let's get into it so simon we'll begin with you um after what seems like an entire season of will losing his stability basically this episode finally shows him thinking somewhat clearly and making the kinds of connections that illustrate how good at his job he really is uh, do you feel, in spite of other characters either ignoring him or not believing him in this episode, some sense of relief with Will's return to form? Um,
2: uh, relief at his return to form. I- I'm not sure that I I got a sense of relief from this episode. Mostly, um, you know, when I-, I had the I had a choice of of, of episodes to some degree uh, to come back to to revisit. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to to revisit the entire season. I just revisited this episode. Of course, I have seen the season before. And I picked this one because, oh, it's the comb episode. We'll get to the comb, I'm sure. But uh, unfortunately, I was disappointed to remember that besides that incredible sequence, this is really a uh, get the pieces in motion for the finale episode. It doesn't contain any fun food montages It doesn't contain any uh, virtuosic, uh, particularly uh, virtuosic sequences, uh, especially that the second season would just be pockmarked with. And it it does have some nice little moments here and there, but it has a lot of exposition, especially for Lawrence Fishburne. Although he does also get one of the only laugh out loud funny moments in the entire show, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, uh, yeah, relief, not so much. Uh, It's... A typically claustrophobic. Actually, it's an, it's an especially claustrophobic episode because uh, we don't get a whole lot of going out into the wider world looking at crime scenes. We mostly have um, a whole lot of chamber drama.
0: I, it's complicated as well, and I thought of relief only in brief moments because you finally get to see Will. He even says it out loud. He's seen things, and you get to see those connections being made visually. Um, whether that's through some of the the dream slash nightmare events that happen specifically with Georgia in this episode, um, or otherwise in in the real life, uh, Kate, what about you? Was there? There's a lot of chaos here, and as Simon said, like this is mostly um, setting up pieces to to fall for next week's episode. But there is a different Will in this episode than we've seen in the past handful.
1: Yeah, I I definitely felt relieved to see Will back to himself to some extent. Even just having been checked in at the hospital and especially immediately following on from the previous episode where he is so uh so at uh at his wits end and dissolving into water and all of these different really um disturbing or uh, upsetting things. That so much of that happens in the previous episode that to get here and to watch I thought of exactly what you're saying, Sean, that this is he's able to put all this together when his brain uh is still scrambled. they don't know what's wrong with him, so that I assume that means that they don't know what we know and what Hannibal knows that he's got encephalitis um so he's he might be better. And, you know, the fever is down, but he's still sick. And so to to watch him be able to finally start to see more clearly in this episode to get back to more of a sense of himself was a relief for me. But then again, I do enjoy overinvesting in these things.
0: It seems like. Go ahead.
2: Oh, sorry. The the only thing I I would add to that is that. Uh, Not having to get to not getting to relive the previous 11 episodes and sort of um, Will's journey. As much as you get a little bit of relief at him getting his investigative uh, mojo back to some degree, there's still even when he's saying, you know, oh, I'm back to my old self. I feel clear. um, It's it's obvious in um, in the performance that he's not all there or that he's imminently about to be not all there
0: again yeah certainly and you know the first thing that he says to jack is that he checked himself out and jack immediately responds with check yourself back in which probably is the right response and uh will certainly out somewhat prematurely also kind of ruining the sense of relief that one may or may not have um hannibal of course does more despicable things so after making a firm argument to Bedelia when they're talking about uh, Jack's visit to her house uh, about wanting to protect his patient, Hannibal sets all of this up for Jack so that uh, Will has turned into the kind of killer he's supposed to be chasing. So what's going through his head here, Kate? Okay, is this just him being curious again? Is Will the only usable scapegoat? Could he not have found another way of pointing the finger away from himself without throwing his supposed friend under the bus?
1: I still think this is all him being curious like he talk like he says to Abigail he wants to know what will will do he wants to know what will happen and uh so I think that that's where Hannibal's coming from I th- I'm sure there are plenty of other people he's basically shown to be you know the devil or a superhero in the worst possible way or he's got magic basically he can <laughs> Hannibal is able to frame pretty much whoever he wants it seems and so He could, I'm sure, point the finger somewhere else, but he wants to see this through and see where it all goes. Plus, I think he's gotten really comfy in his uh, life at the FBI and he likes Jack and he enjoys, you know, (laughs) being able to follow along in these different uh, cases and everything. So uh, maintaining that element, I mean, he knows Will's going to figure it out eventually because of who Will is. And that's part of why he's drawn to him. But he wants to be seen and understood by Will, um, and so eventually, as especially if Will continues to get treatment and is all fully healed, is himself again at least physically. He, I think, he can see what could easily happen. So he's he, he's just following this through to its next stage of manipulation.
0: It's, I think, a couple of the things that you mentioned are dead on, and one big thing is that Will. Will. Will will. Will will find out um, what's happening. And yet, if Hannibal has the the capacity to manipulate things to the extent that we've seen him do in the past, it also seems logical that he could do it in a way that would convince Will as well. Um, So, Simon, do you see any tension in some of these um, characteristics in this episode where it feels like quite strongly that Hannibal really does care about will he he does consider him a friend he says to bedelia you get to protect your patient why can't i protect mine and yet the end result seems to be um just convincing jack that will has turned into a killer or is about to kill abigail
2: i there's sort of tension there i feel like curiosity is is the right word he can't actually experience i don't think real love or empathy or uh, or caring, but that doesn't mean he can't wonder what those things might feel like, or at least what the appearance of feeling those things, uh, what what that what putting that out there into the world does to other people. Uh, curiosity is definitely the term for that. Is there real tension between that and him setting up? Uh, Will probably not. Again, it, it it's more sort of an incidental thing. Uh, it's more about. He's he's able to 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 compartmentalize uh, his scheming versus his curiosity. I would say.
0: All right. Well, let's get into some of the more um, graphic, I guess, uh, parts of this episode. Simon, you mentioned the the comb at, at the beginning. Did you want to start talking about George? I have a question relating to her, but um, uh, we got her a, a couple episodes, I guess it was, and kind of surprised to see her return and in this way and used very briefly but very effectively
2: Uh, well it's an it I feel almost as though we get those early scenes with Ellen Muth just so that she can appear as Ellen Muth the way she actually looks as opposed to sort of the contorted forms we got her in in the previous episode and also in other parts of this episode uh, it's almost like Brian Fuller saying by the way this is a real human person that I've worked with before um, the, uh, the actual sequence that we get, uh, of course, the fireball in the oxygen chamber, uh, you know, in a way it's kind of, it kind of spoils the rest of the episode because it's so fantastic and there's really nothing else in the, in the episode to rival it.
1: Visually or storytelling wise or?
2: Uh, well, particularly visually, but I, I mean, in terms of invention, it's really it, it's the sort of thing that only Brian Fuller would come up with as a means of dispatching a character. Brian Fuller strikes me as sort of the ultimate example of pe- people talk about people with, with like diseased imaginations or who come up with you know particularly twisted ideas, and they're like, oh, what must this guy be like? And and Brian Fuller seems like the ultimate example of the the guys who come up with and the people I should say who come up with the most dizzyingly messed up ideas always seem to be the most well-adjusted because they're just getting that out there in their art instead.
0: That's interesting. I I think it's a beautiful scene to open the episodes. It's also um, another instance of kind of looking at how effective Hannibal is. So the logic there was he came in, somehow smuggled in a comb into the chamber, also removed her bracelet. Was that what was implied?
1: Yeah, so he waited till she was asleep, resting, and then opened up the the door thingy, the chamber, unplugged uh, like took off her the bracelet thingy that takes care of the static uh charge and l- left a comb in there for her to find. And then she just went, "Oh, sweet of me to brush my hair and he he knew enough about just like having observed her, either I'm guessing through security cams or something, that she kept brushing you know her hair back with her hand. That he she would probably do that, and that's uh, you know presto changeo fireball.
2: Um, also, I I'd never noticed this before, and maybe it was an obvious thing that other people picked up on, but I like the little callback we get in this episode when uh, Hannibal goes to visit Jillian Anderson. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, don't remember her name right now. And Bedelia. She, but thank you. When he goes to visit Doctor Bedelia, and uh, and as or or no, actually, is it with her or with Jack? No, it's one of the scenes with Bedelia and Jack. I should say. whoop, whoop, whoop. When Jack goes to visit Bedelia, and, and she's talking about Hannibal, and she runs her hand through her hair, it's sort of an inadvertent callback to us to, to our knowledge of what's going on uh which doesn't which even she doesn't know about but the but the you know fuller and company like to throw these little candy callbacks at us
1: yeah it, it's really um I, I really enjoy that they brought back uh george and george i should say because uh, it's technically a different character different last name so it's not actually george from dead like me um but I specifically like my first note. I have is it's so nice to have Ellen Muth back on my TV because, of course, she didn't look like that when she was previously on the show. But for me, it's more than just wanting to see her face. Though, I'm, honestly, I'm sure that's part of it as well. Like you said, Simon, it's also here is this person who has had this trauma, has disassociated, has gone through all of this uh, difficult and painful and violent. Uh, you know these violent experiences, but she's recovering. She's healing. She's getting better. She still has some scars. So her arm is still messed up, but on on the surface, she seems like she's better. But she's still not safe. She still is not out of the woods. So just as though, just as in this episode, Will appears to be back to himself. He seems to be getting better. They're figuring out what's wrong. He's piecing everything together. He is still not out of Hannibal's reach.
0: And, of course, she ends up dying, and that's a big thing, and that's kind of another way in in which I wanted to talk about her character um, because it has a lot of meaning, I think, to Will because uh, Will mentions that Georgia was misunderstood her whole life and that he specifically wants to make sure that her death is not misunderstood. Uh, We talked in the previous Georgia episode a little bit about how Will might connect with Georgia um, in ways are different from how he connects with other supposed serial killers, that having to do with the fact that she's very uh, uncomfortable in her own world and has less of a grip of, on reality as some other serial killers do. But, but Simon, because we have you here now, um, what do you think Georgia represents to him, even considering both he and she know exactly what she did?
2: Hmm. I don't know. That's, that's a difficult question for me today i'm not sure i have a good answer to that question what he represents to her i I feel as though at this point in the show there are just so many people that will's already either already lost or in the process of losing i'm not sure that georgia is really distinct to me as uh, as representing something specific that that he's lost other than that it's it's a really acute loss because uh it happens right under his nose and right. uh, and he really doesn't have a – he really doesn't have a, a, a concrete way of, of explaining away what happened. Um, I'm sure I have something to go on here.
0: Um, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I, but like um, what, what about maybe in comparison to Abigail? Because both of those characters um, are people who have undergone certain kinds of trauma and who Will seems to want to protect, right? It Take, certainly takes Abigail right. under his wing. Um, but there are a little bit Yeah, of different- Georgia.
2: He seems to view, um, Ab- he certainly takes Abigail on more as a surrogate daughter, whereas he had more of a peer relationship with, with Georgia. Um, it, Hannibal, is, as a show, is very fond of doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on the tragedy, so it's not a surprise that by the end of the episode, he has failed another sort of person he was supposed to, to protect. Oh man, just thinking about
0: that makes me unfortunately uh, bring the following into my mind because that character just is constantly upset because he can't protect everybody but Will is such a better character than that so i need to get this out of my head uh, Kate, <laughs> just Kate, stop, watching. <laughs> stop watching
1: stop watching the did. following that's what i would say um I'm, i've stopped <laughs> as for uh yeah as for the relationship between the two characters i would agree cuz the thing is with with Georgia i, I think he sees more of uh, he he has more connection with her experience and her, um, uh, what feeling lost and losing herself. Whereas with Abigail, like like the show says and like we've said, it's it's that surrogate surrogate father. He's stepping into the role of her father, and so that that brings with it you know a relationship with with a parent and a child is always going to have levels of of one protecting the other f- from information or trying to live up to. Um, some form of an ideal, or always consider how the other one views them, whereas with a a peer relationship, it's going to be, has an opportunity to be much more equal. Um, So whereas he is shepherding Abigail around and is taking her to Minnesota and all of this stuff, uh, he, he He wouldn't think to say, okay, kiddo, let's go on a field trip to to Georgia. That's a very different relationship. But certainly there are connections there, like the show loves to do. Um, Before – let's see. If we're talking about Georgia, I feel like we got to talk about the stag.
0: Yeah, I was going to hold off on that, but uh, we can do it right now. So, yeah, Georgia leads Will out of his bedroom during the nightmare and – gets antlers through her chest, and then explodes into fire and becomes the stag.
2: Yeah.
0: I, I, I don't know what I got for this one.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully by this point, my conversations from with the Hannibal executive producers and cast from Comic-Con, as well as with Brian Reitzel, have gone out on the um, This Is Our Design feed um, I don't know if people listen to those or not, but I, the, when I had the opportunity to talk, however briefly, with Brian Fuller at Comic-Con, that was the first question I asked him. What's up with the stag? What is it a positive? Is it a negative? What's the deal with the stag? And apparently, um, and people don't want to hear what Brian Fuller has to say, because I know some people don't care about this, skip ahead like 20 seconds. Apparently the stag is basically just supposed to represent the Hannibal and Will's relationship. That's all. That's that's it. So it's complicated. I would imagine, you know, just as the relationship is complicated. But as for us wondering if it's a positive thing or a negative thing, or who does it is it tied to Abigail? Is it tied to these other characters? I guess we were overthinking it, Sean. Because it's no, just supposed no, to be I, their relationship.
0: I call <laughs> total bullshit on mindfuler, Fuller, and we're, we're certainly allowed to, because we can kill the author if we want. Because, like, we've seen various points in this season where it has um, heavily suggested a representation of some character, or in certain circumstances, like in last week's episode, the stag leads uh, Will to Abel's truck, and so that's a way of helping catch him. Um, But this one, yeah, I just, I have no idea what this one is, and that's only happened a couple times on This Is Our Design, I think, where it's so out there, and... It's a beautiful image, certainly, but uh, I don't really get anything from it.
2: I mean, I'm tempted to go with fuller on this one. I mean, thinking back on all the appearances, and I don't remember all of them, but th- all the appearances of the stag in Will's dreams and fantasies and in his mental palace and all that stuff, trying to to establish a a hard and fast rule for what that for what the stag represents, I don't think is gonna work. I think especially in the case I think this episode is an excellent example of the stag shows up and there's fire and there's Georgia's doing that stutter walk thing that makes it seem like an outtake from the grudge. Um, and it's all very creepy and it looks really awesome and it gets us from from one point from one plot point to another. and I'm not sure it needs to be a whole lot more than that.
1: It connects the dots for him. It makes him connect the stag, which to him means the copycat. Because, of course, the, the, the stag comes together after him seeing the antlers and the ravens at Hannibal's first kill on the show. Or what we're assuming is Hannibal's first kill on the show um, back in the pilot. So it's that connection of George's death to the, the antlers and the uh, the death of Cassie Boyle. Um, and then to the stag. So there's a, it's it's Will's mind piecing things together. Um, but there have certainly been times when it hasn't seemed like that. So I'm glad it's not just me, Sean.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and like you said, the, the only connection there uh, is like on that plot level where seeing her impaled means that there's the connection between the previous murders and everything. And I, I agree, Simon, that there's probably not a hard and fast way in looking at each of these circumstances. I just don't think it's as simple as saying it's Will's and Hannibal's relationship, because that's about as general (laughs) as you can get for this series, which is entirely about Will's and Hannibal's relationship. Um, But uh, let's move on a little bit and talk a bit more about Hannibal. Kate, what does it mean for both the audience and Abigail to finally hear Hannibal admit to the crimes that he's committed, including many of which uh, took place before the events of this series?
1: It means it's almost the finale is what it means. Uh, And it means... (laughs) It means shit just got real is what it means. Uh, And we'll talk more about the scene in Spoiled Meat so we can talk about the finale, we can talk about what comes next. But that... My note there is just... Wow, wowie, wow, wow. Wow. I would not want to be Abigail in that moment. Can you imagine? It's this realization of... um, From from the fire into from the frying pan into the fire, and I mean this guy just tells you, "Yep, I killed your friends, your friend, uh, and uh, I killed all these other people, and I manipulated you into killing this guy." And um, it's just it lays it all out there. It removes all doubts, um, as if Sorbet hadn't done that enough for us. But Abigail didn't know that, and it, it really is the show laying itself bare and preparing for. You know, what what is going to come next week in the finale?
2: Although, to lob a slight... Actually, I I would say a fairly significant criticism at season one in general. And, again, not having rewatched the whole season, I could be wrong here. But I think that the show would have done... Would have had more of an emotional impact in these last couple episodes, and particularly in this scene, if we had spent a significantly uh, increased amount of time with Abigail... And or uh, had had some sort of visual representation of the relationship between Abigail and her father, because I feel like so much of, especially in this episode, so much rests on Abigail and and Garrett Jacob Hobbs' relationship, which we never got to see any of, and is sort of just sort of discussed in the abstract, which is okay, but I feel like if we were a little bit more invested in Abigail's fate. Uh, or it ha- or knew a little bit, knew her a little better uh, in a few senses, I feel like this could have been even more of a gut punch.
1: And that is very interesting to me because I have that note here as well. But the note that I have is, why do we think of the show in that way? Because uh, that's exactly what I would have said, Simon, if I hadn't just rewatched the, the first season when I think of Hannibal season one, before going back and rewatching it and analyzing it for this podcast, I think of Hannibal. I think of Will. I think of Jack. I think of Alana. And I think of the, uh, the, the text. I think of Bella. I don't think of Abigail. and I don't think of Casey Roll's performance. And I should, because she's all over this season. We, we, it's absolutely true that we get only that one flashback of her hunting with her father. We get very little. And actually two, we also get the flashback of them on the train. Um, As she hunts, as she plays, is as she is the bait for her father, and on one of their trips. But we get very little interaction of the two of them together. In the, you know, we see very little of their relationship. But Abigail is a very strong presence in this show, and even having watched it and really loved the first season the first time through. I still never really associated her with the show in the way that I did all of the other main characters. And I'm curious, Sean, if you have any ideas, was that, is that the same for you for you and why, why do, why did we overlook her?
0: I, it's not the same for me actually, which is okay. really interesting that the both of you had that reaction. Um, to me, certainly Will Hannibal and Jack, but actually Abigail was the fourth character for me, even in the first watch, um, I would certainly agree that the the relationship between Abigail and Garrett Jacob Hobbs was one of the more underdeveloped areas of the first season. And to this point, I still think that it is, uh, even after the rewatch. And the only um, excuse that I might be able to make would be because uh, that connection is supposed to be implied um, in the Will relationship with Abigail, and that's supposed to be enhanced by all the flashbacks, well, not flashbacks. All of the divisions visions that we see Will having with Garrett Jacob Hobbs. So I think all of that is out there on the periphery, and maybe it's not adding up in the right way. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that that part of it is underdeveloped. I would agree. But I I think Abigail is a very strong presence in this season, and one of the the bigger aspects of it that I really enjoyed and took to. You know, they did some very good one-off episodes in this season. I would say. Um, and, but it seemed like whenever we came back to Abigail's story, uh, I was much more invested, and so we get—well, we don't know what we get here at the end just yet. Uh, and I've a about that just in a minute. But um, that would be my response to it: that I—I I don't know why—why um, why some people might not click with it. It, it could just be um, a matter of having so many other good things surrounding the series, not to say that this was a perfect season, because it certainly wasn't, but the main roles, and also a lot of the supporting roles, uh, whether that's Raul Esparza, or Eddie Izzard, or Gina Torres, or Gillian Anderson, uh, on the very basic level, the fact that this is Casey Roll, and she hasn't had many big roles, she was in the first season of The Killing, um, that might just overshadow her, That that would be my only guess.
1: I would relate it to my rewatch and uh, my reevaluation of Beverly and how prevalent she is in this first season and how frequently they pair her up with Will. Um, and I just, and maybe it's just because when you watch a show like Hannibal, there isn't an, another show quite like Hannibal, but when you watch a serialized crime show or a crime procedural and they have a victim of the week, they don't come back. And so we tend to, I think, with. Watching all these different shows that are in the same genre, it's really easy to focus in on the cops or the detectives or the, in this case, the the profilers. And because we're not used to spending time with the victims and spending time with, uh, particularly in this case, one victim who who is such a thread throughout the season, we kind of forget her. We're not used to thinking about that. At least I wasn't. So maybe that's it. But um, but I. And Simon, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. Do you remember Beverly being such a a prominent figure? She's not in this episode, but she's she's a prominent figure in the first season, but I I did not remember that until I rewatched it.
2: She's not in this episode, but Lawrence Fishburne's reading of Where's Beverly (laughs) is uh, easily my favorite moment of this episode. Um, But to go back to Abigail for a minute, I think that another reason that she doesn't stand out when you think about, um, the season as a whole, or at least she doesn't for me, is that she's not really that developed as a character. She's developed as a plot point, but she doesn't really get to be a whole lot more than victim and lore. She's really she's a functionary in a lot of these scenes, and you know she gets to be surrogate daughter, but, but as an actual uh, warm-blooded human, doesn't get a whole lot of characteristics. And uh, I think that it's also unfortunate that she is that. Casey Roll's um performance, I I I feel almost as though they've deliberately uh, deliberately made uh the character and the um and the way that she, she present present presents herself to be quite similar to uh Kathleen in the sense that she's very straightforward and serious and has kind of a similar look as well. And Caroline Dav is also not in this episode, notably. Um, And I wonder if that was a deliberate choice because we would just notice how uh, oddly similar their screen presences are.
0: And I think, again, I I mostly agree with um, Abigail not necessarily being a fully fleshed out character. And yet there were a couple moments this season, I think, that I had forgotten about. Um, Most notably, I think it was two episodes ago where she really seemed to express agency in a way that um, kind of made her one of the more pow- powerful characters in that episode. But uh, on the most part, yeah, it's it's true that for such an integral part of this season, she was mostly used as a plot device, which I don't know if that's necessarily a criticism for me, um, because sometimes you need to have characters like that uh, and who function that way, especially when so many other characters are three-dimensional. Um, yeah, I it's, well, let's talk a little bit about how this ends. Um So, uh, I guess, Simon, this episode, probably more than any other episode this season, if I'm... Yeah, I I would say it ends on um, a cliffhanger, so Abigail and the audience are left wondering for her safety after Hannibal says that he's sorry that he couldn't protect her in this life. Um, Hannibal has shown itself to be somewhat of a surprisingly um, intelligent, different, innovative show within its genre in this first season does this use of the cliffhanger so heavily, does that run contrary to your expectations and tastes regarding the series?
2: Uh, No, because as much as, you know, it's, it's a very, it is a very intelligent and certainly aesthetically daring, especially in the second season show, but it's still a serialized crime drama essentially. And, it still needs to get its jollies off every once in a while, especially in the context of this episode where not necessarily that much happens all of the time, or at least doesn't appear to happen. I think the cliffhanger was was important because it is a, a get the pieces moving episode, and if you don't have, if you, I, I don't really know if you can do a thirteen episode crime drama where episode twelve doesn't end with. Fuh, 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 fuh. You you it's sort of an essential. Ingredient, so to speak. Kate,
0: okay, would you agree with that?
1: I think certainly for this show, having it end on such a moment, and not even just being a cliffhanger, but on such a moment of honesty from Hannibal. Is this the most honest we've seen him? I mean, I feel like it has to be. And just taking away, because this is a show with so much Artifice at different levels. So many uh, characters pretending to be somebody else. Uh, Hannibal in his person suit, and uh, and Will trying, to, you know, putting on these other personas. There's so many. Uh, there's so much subterfuge with the some of the relationships and trying to figure out who everybody is and exactly where they're at at a given time. That it it's easy to. Uh, to, to maybe disconnect. And so having this second to last episode end with, nope, here's Hannibal. Here's what he's done. Here's how he, here's uh, why he did it. Here's why, you know, it takes us right back to that pilot again. In there's a couple of moments that, that take us back to the pilot. i will get to one of them and another in devil in the details. But um, this, this takes us back to the, the moments in the pilot that put all of this into, into action. And it really gets us ready to bring everything full circle uh as so frequently happens in 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 the finale it shows us where we've been reminds us of where we've come from so that we can now see where we've gone at the end of the season that that feels natural and very fitting
2: i would put an asterisk on that uh, mention of honesty but that'll be for the spoiler section
0: well let's get to our recurring segments then and uh, the spoiler one will be last but we'll kick it off of course with kate's classical corner so kate what can you tell us about the scoring in here we go again (laughs)
1: well uh as we've noted in the past several episodes as things have gotten more intense there's less time for meals and banquets and uh, charming dinners and therefore there's much less classical music being used in the scoring there is one piece used in this episode which is when they're in bedelia's kitchen which by the way gorgeous anyways i want that kitchen someday but uh that piece is Beethoven's Ghost Trio, which is his Piano Trio Number Five um, in D, Opus Seventy Number One, and it's the second movement, the Largo assai uh, ed espressivo, um, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous piece. It, it's the movement of the piece that gives it, its, gives it its name of the Ghost Trio. It's very eerie. It's um, a cello, a violin, and a piano is the, the makeup of the trio, but um, it's in D minor as movie fans will know that is the saddest of all keys and uh it has, <laughs> it has a very uh very long and drawn out opening with these these held notes um and it just is it's it's absolutely gorgeous i recommend popping it on youtube next time you are feeling like some some sort of like a maybe If you want to go to have a low-key kind of evening, put on the Ghost Trio. But um, an interesting factoid about it is that uh, apparently it may have been drawn. There's not, uh, this isn't concrete, but there's theories that it was drawn from some of Beethoven's sketches for an opera about uh, Macbeth, which I thought was fun, given that it's Bedelia's, uh, uh, Bedelia's house and there are connections one could make to Bedelia with Bedelia and characters in Macbeth if one would like, but that might be spoilery, so I will stop that there. Um as for the rest of the scoring, um the the couple of things that particularly stood out again, this is the scoring in the past few episodes has been um at least for me, less uh less flashy or it's it hasn't really drawn attention to itself. It's just really supported the action, been very effective and um and and I look forward to to getting my D, my CD of it soon but the when, when Georgia has her unfortunate uh, moment with the comb there's the scoring is really energetic there it really supports the action on screen and uh the, the this is this this episode really uses the harp to connect with Georgia I I noticed that connection in her scenes her few scenes seem to have that um that sort of delicate harp uh a, you know oh on top of the other scoring that's going on so for example in will's um when when will is is dreaming uh earlier on it, it, when he dreams the this the, the stag goring and you know the fire and everything with george georgia uh this it's the scoring has elements of his projection music with the sort of uh with the percussion and the really light kind of scattery sound but there's also that harp on top um of it so there's just some really fun stuff happening with with georgia there in the score but on the whole it's very um it's very ten- it's very much tension music there's a lot of uh the same kind of sounds we've heard in the previous episodes um, and that I look forward to seeing if we hear in the finale. It's These these last few episodes really do tie together thematically, plot-wise, in, in the look, in the sound, all of it. So unfortunately, that means for me, there's less for me to, to talk about for the score this week.
0: That's all right. But uh, in that, that scene with Georgia, the nightmare one, there was also, I don't think it was scoring, it was some kind of sound effect that really stood out. Uh, whenever she started moving, it was like almost whispering or something, but it wasn't quite whispering.
1: Mm-hmm. There's definitely some, uh, uh, some, some. Yes, you'd be amazed. Most of that, those things that feel like effects actually are instrumentation. Um, on on Hannibal, there's much less use of um, sound effects as opposed to just creating sounds and using them, and layering them in. But but yes, there is definitely a sort of to tie in with that shuddery uh, visual element that Simon mentioned earlier. There's definitely that's definitely reflected in the scoring.
2: I, I believe the word might be acousmatic, or I could be making things up. I, I would just like to mention that the <laughs> I would like to mention that the I have the digital release of the season one soundtrack. Season two isn't kicking around yet, and it's great to have the music at home. My one qualm is that the soundtrack organ the, the way it's organized is every episode gets a track, and so you get sort of a copy-and-pasted medley of, I'm assuming, all of, if not at least most of the music from every, each given episode, which is cool. Uh, personally, I would have preferred a Twin Peaks archive-style individual tracks for each cue sort of approach, but uh, it, it is sort of an interesting way to, to arrange the music. I'm not sure I've seen a TV soundtrack uh, sorted out like that. So it's definitely a very it's a unique experience, even if it's not what I would have uh, preferred.
0: You you can't just throw around a word like acousmatic, man. That's just so.
1: <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I'm gonna go look that up because I've never heard that before. But I'm sure that you are right, and I look forward to adding that to my vocabulary. Um, the, what oh, I, the, I'm not oh, sure I'm right.
2: <laughs> the
1: other thing, the last thing I'll mention with in regards to the the soundtrack for the show is that having listened to the Comic Con give giveaway, which was a se- separate uh, CD of. Of, of music from the show that is not available as part of the season one and season two releases this, the music sounds completely different and on the soundtrack than it does in the show. And obviously the main ideas are still there, but if you, if, if you're interested, if you like the music, it's you know spring for the, the soundtrack because there is a world of orchestration and composition going on underneath the very little bit that's coming through on a given episode. It's, really quite stunning when you when you take away the visual and you bring up the levels that you can really hear what the uh all all the various parts are doing it's a really it's a really cool score
0: and that'll take us to the second of our recurring segments the devil in the details so any little things in the episode that stood out to be the visual uh, dialogue based moments of humor anything that we haven't covered um that's on the micro scale I'll begin by saying it's it's really nice just to see a scene with Lawrence Fishburne and Gillian Anderson together because like those are probably the two biggest names from this first season and there they are acting on the screen on a television show and it's awesome. <laughs> uh, Simon, any details that stood out to you?
2: Um, I would say that. This episode features one of the more sort of glaring disconnects between the Scott Thompson, Aaron Abrams material and the rest of the episode, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But I do. I It, it did make me think, wow, it would be great to get a whole episode with just them wondering how these relatively affable regular people wound up in this universe of horror because they are they literally every every scene they you you just wonder like where did these characters parachute in from because they're so they they're great to have on the show because it, it they they're so badly in need of humor but when they're talking about ooh we get to investigate and things like that i wonder even if abrams and thompson watch the show <laughs>
1: <laughs> and of course they anybody who's been following um the live tweeting of the show will note that they they do but I I don't disagree. And um especially that that moment of investigation where all of a sudden they're super serial guys are super serious. Uh that didn't really work for me. But I did really love and that's actually my devil in the detail for this episode, along with Bedelia's house is gorgeous and uh and Jack Crawford's brown and blue tie is one of my favorites on the show. Uh my, my main devil in the detail is that uh I love that that quick scene we get with them, with Jack and Will, where they're basically just—they look like tennis fans watching. The camera cuts to them, and just they just like they're silent. They just like look to Jack, look to Will, <laughs> as Will is going on about the 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 you know, Georgia having been killed by the same copycat killer and has his, his grand theory. Uh, I just really enjoyed that cutaway to them. And then later, I mean, theories require evidence. It's, I think Bitchy Jimmy might be my favorite Jimmy. And uh I've, I'm glad they progressed Z past where he was in the pilot and earlier on in the series where he seemed like he was randomly antagonistic. Um I like that they, these are men of science, comparatively, with you know, the others around them. They are not... They're not—they're uh, not English people. They're math people, and so <laughs> to have them, uh, you know, when, when Jack asks them to be abstract and to just kind of guess stuff, the fact that they rebelled at that—that that it is antithetical to them—is something that I very much enjoy.
0: Uh, Definitely, very, very slightly uh, tangential note regarding uh, Brian and Jimmy. Uh, this is somewhat out there, especially for "This Is Our Design." There's a critic who's very famous uh, for doing video game reviews, the angry video game nerd. I'm sure many of our listeners will have seen videos by him, but when he did his review of Double Dragon, there was this really poor translation into English of the text. And instead of it being uh, Jimmy and Billy, who are the characters in that, it said Jimmy and Bimmy. And he he made a point of noting that and and kind of hanging on to it for a few seconds. And so I usually refer to, to Brian and Jimmy as Bimmy and Jimmy. Uh, but I haven't done that on this podcast yet, so if you ever hear it again, when I say Bimmy and Jimmy and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's where it comes from. Nice. Uh, the only other detail that I had was the the neat cut uh, between the scene where Georgia tells Will that he couldn't see the face of the person who had killed the doctor, and then we fade in on Hannibal's face. I thought that that was a really good directorial effect. But uh, other than that, those are my details. Did either have any more?
1: I just remember the one other one I referenced it earlier. But when we get our chicken soup scene with Will and Hannibal, that staging directly mirrors their protein scramble from the pilot down to the windows where their curtains are at, their their body posture, the the dishes in front of them. It's very much reminiscent of their. Their first meal together as they prepare to go to the construction site and discover Jacob Hobbs.
2: Can I just say that in the context of Hannibal, I don't think there's a grosser combination of words than protein scramble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's move on to the final of our recurring segments for this season, and that is Spoiled Meat in which we'll talk about spoilers, uh, whether that's related to next week's finale or to season two of Hannibal. So if you have not seen future episodes of this series, then go ahead and fast forward now. Uh, Simon, you had a question regarding Abigail.
2: Yeah, so does anyone have a definitive answer on when, because Fuller co-wrote this episode, and of course he's the showrunner, so wouldn't matter if he had a specific credit or not. Did he know he was keeping Abigail alive because... The one thing that really bugged me about this episode was that last line, um, I'm sorry I was unable to protect you in this life. I'm paraphrasing, possibly. But uh, the fact that she doesn't die and he says that, I feel, is kind of a cheat.
1: Well, considering that, and uh, obviously this is a spoiler section, so everybody here knows this, considering that Miriam Lass is not dead and he knew that she was not dead um, when they finished that that episode he knew he was going to bring her back if the show got renewed that was uh and planned had planned another you know sort of arc mini arc for her in season 2 i would be very very surprised if he did not know he wanted to at least leave the door open because if he wanted if he planned on her being dead he would have shown it on screen this you know brian fuller has has shown that he um, this is a show where nobody dies unless you see them die on screen. They take their pulse; they are dead. They're not, you know they're 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 going to come back. For example,
2: except Beverly. She,
1: except, well, we saw her body. She's <laughs> she's not coming back because <laughs> we saw her body no, in the we very next her episode. Die, That's true, yeah. but but we saw her body in the next episode. So, um, yes, if there's a doubt, I would assume that um that that. The character is intended to be brought back, and certainly with the news of Chilton, um, very the very publicized news that Chilton is back in a major way for season three, after being shot in the face. In the I mean, face. in the and face, disemboweled
0: uh, as well. In the face.
1: <laughs> so I don't know if the, that was the original intent, but that's my guess. I don't know, Sean. Any thoughts?
0: I when I was listening to uh, Eat the Root, the the podcast that has just been doing for the first season of Hannibal as well. Um, Because I don't follow Brian Fuller on Twitter I I miss a lot of these things Because he does kind of talk about uh, His intentions and and his plans And writing quite a bit on there Um, They had mentioned for the pilot That that very first uh, killing That Will investigates So the one with uh, the woman And her husband husband And
1: this could be a spoiler For stuff that could happen on the show But it could also change So just you've been warned
0: Be aware of that. Yeah, so that that, that whole thing was the very first Francis Dollarhide, the Tooth Fairy um, murder from Red Dragon. And so the fact that Brian Fuller had said that that was a thing that happened in the very first episode makes me think that he absolutely knows every single decision that he's making. So um, I would actually be surprised if he didn't know for certain that he would bring back Abigail.
1: However, I absolutely agree. It is a cheat. And Brian Fuller is happy to cheat and to screw with the audience. Uh, he has, he enjoys that. Uh, and so I, agree, you know, while um, I don't think he, he he, while I agree with one part of your premise, Simon, um, that it seems like it's very definitive that she's dead. Uh, I also <laughs> disagree with the, other. yeah, it, it, I agree with the other that um, that yes, this is a cheat, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't intended to be such when he filmed it.
2: Okay, but so my question would be are you annoyed by the cheat or are you okay with it?
1: I'm okay with it because mostly because uh I the my relationship with the public figure of Brian Fuller is basically to go, you scamp. <laughs> <laughs> and because the show is so well done and because that reveal for me is so effective in the second season, I mean, I like that the show misled me so completely. If there had been a question, then that would have lingered over season two for me. But because it seemed so definitive, when she shows up in season two, it was a holy shit moment for me. So I was, you know, for me, it works. I don't know. Is it, it's annoying to you, Simon?
2: Yeah, it's a little annoying. I I don't feel like it would have undercut the surprise of the season two finale that much uh, if this episode had ended 12 seconds earlier with just that look that Hannibal gives her and then cut to cut to the end of the episode, especially since, uh, you know, at that point we would have had 12 points, no, like 13.9 episodes of Abigail not being on the screen. I feel like that would have still been pretty effective and wouldn't have resulted in me saying, Hey, you cheated.
1: So if he had just said, I'm sorry, I could, I'm sorry duh, 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 that I couldn't protect you. That no, have...
2: just just none of that. Just, just none just, of that? None of that. I would have I would have vastly preferred just her saying are you going to kill me or whatever and then just him looking at her end of episode.
1: Yeah, I'd like this better. I don't know. Sean, what about you?
0: Um, if there was a way to kind of redo that page of the script where it, it ends on a more Hannibal-y way so like having some kind of line of dialogue rather than it being like a cliffhanger, letting it be thought-provoking um and having something to do with i don't know in that circumstance maybe the nature of murder or something that might have worked the only reason that i'm probably less annoyed having watched this through again is because that exact wording the the not being able to save her in this life is used again in the finale of season two so i'm i'm a sucker for those kinds of echoes and that's okay fair enough uh, other spoilery stuff, I thought that uh, the, the plane ride, as soon as we see Will and Abigail sitting down there, immediately reminded me of the Hannibal and Bedelia scene that, that concluded season two.
1: Just the shot of the airplane. It's the same shot. I mean, obviously the plane is going in a different direction, but yeah, that's just exactly the same as the end season two. And then I also have, uh, we, get our, we get our fisherman and hunter conversation that's going to come back so significantly in season two as well.
0: Yep, that was the only other one that I had. Anything else spoilery that either of you wanted to mention?
2: Yeah, that definitely made me preemptively nostalgic for the, season, for the many, many Season 2 episodes of Will peacefully finishing.
0: Because <laughs> uh, that will never happen again.
1: Hmm.
0: All right, well, were there any other questions, comments, anything that we didn't cover in this episode that either of you wanted to talk about? So not necessarily spoilery stuff, but anything that we haven't touched on.
1: I'm just ready for the finale. I wanted to immediately go on to the finale when I was watching this. I think it works really well as a penultimate episode, um, and I, I'm looking for. Uh, oh, I guess is that I'll, I, we we can talk about this because we haven't talked about it yet. Um, and this maybe I don't know this, if need, this needs to be in the spoiler section. That last scene we get with Hannibal, is that how how honest is he being, and is that a genuine? Hug for Abigail. How? What level of association is he having with her and maybe other people he's known in his life that haven't been brought up on the show yet? Um, and is that genuine, or is that just more of his people-suitness?
0: It's genuinely functional. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is, because if we are looking at them as a family unit, which Hannibal and Will are the parents, it it seems right that he would be concerned for her life, even if he really didn't think that Will was going to kill her. I don't know. It, it felt fine.
2: It felt fine?
0: Fine, <laughs> question mark? I don't know how to describe that better. It's, it's a weird thing.
2: It feels to me as though he comes as close as he can to feeling bad for another human, because she's a part of this, you know, immense scheme that Hannibal is cooking up and she has, she's once again has absolutely no agency and there may be a part of him that I I think he, he recognizes that he's taken away any agency she may ever have had. And he almost feels bad about it. I think he comes as close to feeling bad as it is possible for him to do so, which he can't really do. I don't think.
1: Yeah. Um, the, the last thing I'll say about the show, uh, this episode is um, <laughs> this has got to be, this is our only reference that the only refer- reference that Abigail makes to her mother <laughs> in this entire season to this point. And I, I think in the entire show, this is the only reference really of Abigail's mother. We saw the visual of her in, what is it? Episode four when uh, Abigail is picturing her happy family with Alana as her mother and Hannibal as her father, um, something that will, you know, an idea that that you know comes back throughout this first season. But when when we talk about the under exploration of H- Abigail's relationship with her father, her relationship with her mother is just doesn't exist on this show. So it was nice to at least get get a mention. Oh, he killed all these other girls. He also slit my mother's throat in front of me.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, definitely, is. definitely, a, definitely underlining how that character still needed some work that they didn't really have time for.
0: And yet, and that would be the thing that I would point to is that I, I really don't think that there was time to bring in that aspect of the relationship. Um, but you know, in a, in a different version of season one, that probably would have been interesting. But this is the one that we got, and the one that we will conclude next week when Kate and I return to talk about season one, episode thirteen, the finale. There we go again, Savoureux. That's what I'm going to say.
2: Uh, Savoureux.
0: S- Savoureux.
1: Savoureux. We'll
0: just do 30 minutes of this, and eventually I'll
1: do
0: it. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much, Simon, for coming on and talking with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online?
2: Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter, at Sucker Howell. And uh, I'm also uh, co-hosting a bunch of things over on Sound on Site. So uh, do always go there visit the website and you will hear my voice a lot. Uh, it's nice to have been back in the game for a little while after an extended hiatus in the woods.
0: I will only listen if you promise to say things in French. Parfait. <laughs> <laughs> and Kate, where can our listeners find you and your work online?
1: Well, you can always find me on Twitter at the Televerse. And I love talking about Hannibal and any of the other TV that's really going I a given or or Previously, went for example. I've really been enjoying some some angel talk recently um, on Twitter, so drop me a line there. Of course, the Televerse is the TV podcast that I co host at Sound On Sight. Um, my two wonderful co hosts are both on this podcast, which is lovely. Um, and uh, so, you can, if, if, if you want to hear more talk of TV, the rest of the TV uh, that's going on, not Hannibal, but everything else that's live, you can listen to the Televerse every. Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, depending on how much work I have that day. Uh, and that's over at soundsite.org You can also read my reviews at the AV Club. Uh, by the time this goes up, I will be done with Blackadder and Spartacus for the summer, but I'm sure something else will be coming around. And I should probably still be reviewing Doctor Who over at Sound On Sight. I'm sure I have many, many thoughts on this season, but um, but that's the main places that you can find me. And of course, you can always email myself and by extension, Sean, at um, gmail.com if you would like more than 140 characters to, to relay your thoughts.
0: And you can find me at Twitter, at Sean Coletti. Otherwise, I think by the time this goes up, I'll hopefully be back doing written reviews for Sound On Sight and tvovermind.com but that's it for this week thanks again listeners for tuning in this has been another episode of this is our design